Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. When the Apostle John wrote that Jesus came to us full of grace and truth, he certainly was telling us something very profound about the ministry of our Savior, but he was also revealing to us what we really need from God in this life. We need real grace. We think most of the time that grace is for making things easier. Grace doesn't really make things easier necessarily. Now, sometimes it does, but what grace does, it makes the impossible possible. And we need real truth. I'm telling you what God has in his heart when he tells us the truth, and it hurts. Oh, I hope, I hope they'll listen to what I'm saying and say, I've had enough of this. I've ruined my life enough. I'm going to humble myself and listen for a change. It's this combination of grace and truth that paves the way for true freedom. Grace enabling us to do what we could never do on our own, and truth telling us exactly what we need to hear and showing us what we need to see. Jesus, full of grace and truth. That's what's coming up on Purity for Life. Stay with us. I think that one of the highlights for the students in our residential program is when we hold something that we call special meetings. Basically, we get a special speaker. He comes in and he teaches for four sessions on a specific theme. And a couple of months ago, our good friend Dave Leopold came and he spoke on the theme, Jesus, full of grace and truth. I thought that it would be really great if we could play each of these messages with you. And we'll do that over the next four weeks. Now, I realize that if you're struggling with sexual sin, that theme might seem really disconnected from your daily life. But I can tell you from personal experience, there is nothing more liberating than to have a deep personal encounter with Jesus, with the fullness of his grace and with his truth. So I would just invite you to say a quick prayer and ask the Lord to quicken this message and the following messages to your heart so that you see something rich and real about Jesus that transforms your daily life. Let's get started. You know, I I don't normally do this, but I feel because there's maybe a few of you here that are new and don't know me or don't know anything about me. Uh, The rest of you are unfortunate, but... um, (laughs) I, I come from the same background as just about everybody here um, as far as being a sinner. I'm not like John the Baptist, you know, I wasn't uh, filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Um, I, I, I want to tell you this, I just want to say a little something about it, just so you know. It's been almost 50 years ago that I went completely destroyed into a drug program. And I was such a mess that people told me later they never had any hope for me that I would make it. 
uh, I had destroyed my mind and my nervous system with hallucinogens and crystal meth and uh, all kinds of acid and all kinds of other things. And what I want to say to you is that the Lord, I mean, the Lord has blessed me in many, many ways. The place where I live, I've been able to live at the faith homes. I just recently crossed the point where I've lived more than half my life at the faith homes. And it's a great atmosphere to keep you seeking the Lord. I think without it, I, I would, the Lord knew that without it, I probably wouldn't do that well. So he's kept me there. And maybe some of the people who've been here a long time feel the same way, you know, that you just might not do as well. But the Lord didn't choose for his own reasons to instantaneously heal me of all the problems that I had, but instead has called me to the path of patient suffering. Now, like I said, I have a wonderful life. The Lord, I have an unbelievable wife of 46, more than 46 years. I have four beautiful children, which I wasn't supposed to be able to have. And I have 10 grandchildren, which I shouldn't have. And the Lord has been very kind to me, and I have nothing to complain about and everything to thank God for. I just want you to know because I know some of you suffer, that for years I've suffered with uh, acute anxiety and terrible nerve problems which come and go, and the Lord has not chosen the pathway yet of instantaneous healing for me, but I've had to fight through a lot of very, very difficult times. It's been challenging on and off a lot uh, over the last 50 years. And yet the Lord has brought me a long way. And I have joy. And I'm thankful and I'm happy with the Lord and all that he has done for me. But I understand some of your, your battles and struggles uh, probably almost all of them, and I've been a big sinner <laughs> in just about every way. So that's who's talking to you tonight, so you better listen. <laughs> <laughs> I want to share with you, if I put my glasses on, this weekend, um, uh, who is Jesus? And I always forget to title anything because I don't have to do that back home. And uh, they always want a title, so, I mean, I understand, I don't blame you. So who is Jesus? That's, that's the title. We're going to talk about who Jesus is. And mainly, what is his nature like, and what is his character? But before I, I do that, I, I thought I would just like to take just a few moments and talk about the Jesus of history. Who is the Jesus of history? Because he's a part of history, you know. Jesus is a part of secular history. People who don't believe in him know that he lived. People, that is, people who don't believe he's the son of God, know that he lived. He lived 
He died on a Roman cross. The same historians that know about Caiaphas and Pilate and Herod and the Caesars and all those people who lived at that time of Jesus, that they were real, historical people, also know that Jesus was a real person. He was a person who healed a lot of people, and that is known, although some can't quite accept it. His disciples were also a part of history, although not quite well as documented as Jesus. The only question really that remains is, do you believe that he's actually the Son of God? Did he really rise from the dead? Many of us know that he rose from the dead because he's raised us from the dead. Isn't that true? We know it because we're completely different. And it happened in a moment, really. Some will say, well, Jesus was a, he was a good man and a good teacher. He may have been, but he was also a big fat liar if he wasn't the son of God. And he said ridiculous things if he wasn't the son of God. He said, I and the Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if he's not those things, then he is an outrageous liar. I think most of us here, if not all of us, believe that he is who he said he was. The disciples knew because they saw him after the resurrection. Some of the disciples were martyred not too long after Jesus' resurrection, within a matter of a few years. Others later in life. Would you die for someone that you helped steal from the grave to fool everybody and make him think that he rose from the dead? Would you die for a person that you did that to? They were almost all martyrs. Peter and, well, we don't know for sure about John. <laughs> Peter, quite a long ways down the road, was a martyr. 40 or 50 years maybe later, it's thought that he died upside down on a cross because he didn't feel worthy to die right side up like Jesus. These people gave their lives in more ways than one. They gave them all as they lived and they gave them as they died because they knew that Jesus rose from the dead. They saw him. Paul, later on, was confronted by Jesus himself as he was on the road to Damascus, as you know. And he tells us what the Gospels don't tell us, that at one time after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Now, I'm not here this weekend to talk about apologetics or about history, but I, I want us to remember that Jesus was a part of history. And what we need to, to understand, really, what I'm really wanting to talk about is this Jesus from his word, who is he really? And I want to begin that tonight by turning to John chapter 1. And I want us to read, starting with verse 12. 
This should be a familiar verse and a series of verses for most of us. John 1.12, But as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> and this is mainly what I want to talk to you about this weekend, is that Jesus is full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we've all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth is a wonderful thing to be full of. They're not miles apart. You know, sometimes we think of grace being way over here and truth is way over there. Some of us want to be people of grace and some of us kind of have fun being people of truth. You know, we like to give the truth. I do too. But grace and truth go together in God, and they're a part of each other. It's not God's grace if there's no truth in it. And it's not God's truth if there's no grace in it. When God tells us the truth, is that not grace? Do you want him to lie to you? We think most of the time that grace is for making things easier. So we have doctrines, people that overemphasize grace in a way that because they think it makes everything easier. Grace doesn't really make things easier necessarily. Now, sometimes it does, but what grace does, it makes the impossible possible. It makes it the impossibility of me in the condition that I was in when I went to a drug program. That's, it was impossible that I would ever stand up in front of anybody and talk to anybody again in my entire life. I couldn't put a sentence together. I couldn't remember when I got halfway through a sentence what I was talking about. I was terrified of everything. I was kind of a paranoid schizophrenic. But grace made it possible for me, but it didn't make it all easy. And I promise you that if you decide to follow Jesus with all of your heart, I promise you it will not be easy. 
God took the impossibility of eternal and abundant life and he made it possible. Was it easy for Jesus to make that possible? I don't think so. I think you know the answer to that. I can ask you, how many of you since you became a Christian, it's just been smooth sailing? <laughs> Man, it's a piece of cake. Being a Christian is just so great. It's so wonderful. It is great and it is wonderful, but it's not necessarily easy. And we need a lot of grace all the time, don't we? Yes. We need grace. We also need truth. And they go together, and God wants to give us both. And one of the main things, I, I, you know this, I can't tell you anything you haven't already heard, but just to emphasize it again, and if I emphasize it all weekend, you know, maybe it'll kind of stick in our hearts a little bit and stick in our minds. And we'll understand that those hard times and those truthful times and those things that pierce us and we don't want to hear them and we don't want to respond to them necessarily, but those are the same grace from the heart of God as when he comforts you in a meeting so beautifully and you just want to lay on your face and cry and weep because you're so blessed in the presence of God. But if you could see like the Lord sees, you would know that when you're told a truth, whether it comes through a person or it comes directly from the Lord that's painful, it's exactly the same loving kindness and grace coming to your life. The Apostle Paul, he needed a lot of grace. Paul prayed to the Lord three times. You know this, it's his testimony. Lord, you got to take this thing off of me. This thing is killing me. I'm, now I'm going to translate <laughs> the King James, okay? I'm just going to do a loose translation here. Lord, you got to take this thing, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. You got to take this thing away from me. I can't take this anymore. I beg you, Lord, please take this from me. I think the easy thing would have been if the Lord would have just taken it. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that have been easier? But what did he say? What did Paul say about it? The Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you to keep on suffering <laughs> with this. My grace is sufficient. Now, Paul had a better attitude than anybody I have ever seen. Because if it would have been me, I would have been moping and complaining to the Lord about what I was going through. I know I would have. <clears throat> but Paul, what he said instead was, so now I'm going to be even more happy and rejoice even more when I'm struggling, when I'm the enemy's coming after me. When I'm in distress, I'm going to thank God even more, and I'm going to just be so thankful because the Lord told me that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. That means my life is going to be more effective in God because when I'm weak, he's strong. One translation says, when I'm weak, he's 
dynamite. So Paul had to suffer to be really effective. And his testimony was, this is because otherwise I would be too proud. I would be lifted up with pride because of all the revelation I was having from God. So he gave me this thorn in the flesh to keep me from being proud. I would have said, Lord, what do you care about a little pride? I'm turning the world upside down for you. What difference does a little pride make? Can you explain that to me? What difference did a little pride make? When thousands are getting saved, we're still reading the Bible and being blessed to this very day because of the Apostle Paul. Well, if the Lord hadn't have kept this pride down, maybe not. It was important to God. It was important to God. Pride ruins everything. It absolutely ruins everything. So when you see pride in yourself, if your heart is right, it'll humble you. <laughs> Nothing will humble you like pride. <laughs> Isn't that true? And nothing will make you proud like humility. Yeah, there you go. Well, if you think you're humble, you're in delusion. <laughs> and that's the truth. You just can't get around the flesh. It gets you coming and it gets you going. That's why we just have to keep our eyes on Jesus all the time. We just have to keep our eyes on him and on his precious blood. So the Lord gave Paul the grace to keep on suffering and to be humbled so that he could be effective. And God told him the truth. It's good when the Lord tells us the truth. It's graceful when he tells us the truth. You see, sometimes you can not tell the truth, and it, it's easier for people. You fill up the church. But the end is going to be very, very disappointing. Jesus said, and I'm going to tell you the truth, that I don't really like this verse that much. I never have series of verses. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there's a whole lot of people going through that door. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Is that anybody's favorite verse? I'm not saying it should be, but Man, that's sobering. But it's really a huge grace that Jesus told us the truth. It's a huge grace that he told us the truth. There are a lot of people out there, and I'm, I probably made the same mistake. I'm not here to criticize anyone, but I'm just saying, <laughs> people will tell you things that aren't really the truth, to get people in the pews and to get money in the offering plate. But we must enter in at the straight gate. 
I want to look at Luke 4. This is kind of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right near the beginning, starting with verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth, and, uh, where he had been raised, and as the custom was in his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and this was something that was done normally at the synagogue. So it was nothing out of order that he was doing. And there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the King James way of saying the year of the Lord's favor. The year and the time when God is going to show a lot of favor to anybody who will take it. That's really what he was saying. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why were all the eyes fastened on him at this point? Jesus had only read the scripture. That's all he had done. He hadn't even made any comments about it yet. Just read it. And they were spellbound looking at Jesus. And, of course, it's because there's something about Jesus that is so profound and so compelling. His presence, his very presence, is so profound and compelling. We sensed it here tonight. I hope you did. I sure did. That they knew Something different was happening. Now Jesus could read their minds. He knew what they were thinking. And he was beginning to sense what they were going to do, the rejection that was going to come from his hometown. So he began to say to them, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Now, now he's beginning to say something that is really important. And all of them bear him witness, and they wondered, listen to this, they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, this is Joseph's son. He said to them, you will surely say to me this proverb, and this was a common proverb at that time. There was a the Jews had a lot of proverbs, and this is the one they were thinking. Physician, heal thyself. In other words, we've heard something about you, now we want to see the proof. What we've heard that's been done in Capernaum, do also here in your country or in your town. And he said, truly I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That was also a saying in those days. 
Now, here we have in verse 25, but I tell you a truth. But I'm going to tell you the truth. Okay? Now, don't think for a minute that Jesus was going to speak vengeful because he wasn't. He was saying it and telling them the absolute truth because there was they wouldn't accept the grace that had been offered them, and he knew it. There was one thing left, and I believe he had hope in his heart that they would open up and listen to the truth. And when he told them this, let me read it first. <laughs> I tell you of a truth, verse 25, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save to Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. In other words, there were all kinds of needs in Israel at the time of Elijah, but none of the Jews got their needs met, but this one Gentile woman he was sent to. Now, this kind of burnt their toast, okay? because they looked down on the Gentiles very much, and they had a lot of self-righteousness. They were very religious. I hope you aren't too religious, because religion without the Spirit of God is one of the most dangerous things in the world both for you and for other people. They were very religious. But I think what Jesus was hoping was that they would come to themselves and what they could have said was, you know, they could have said, you know what? You're right. You're right. This is what we always do, we Jews. We always do this. Let's just repent and let's come to Jesus and let's let him heal us. But they didn't. Then he told them another one. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eleusis, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Ouch, he was the arch enemy of Israel, Naaman the Syrian captain close to the king the enemies of Israel I believe Jesus was just hoping that some of them would, would begin to say oh let's don't make this mistake again let's don't do it again let's humble ourselves I promise you that this is what God is thinking about every one of us. Myself, all of us up here, all of you, wherever you're at in the Lord, or if you haven't started yet, or if you're not sure, I'm telling you what God has in his heart when he tells us the truth, and it hurts like it did here. Oh, I hope, I hope they'll listen to what I'm saying and say, I've had enough of this. I've ruined my life enough. I'm going to humble myself and listen for a change and see if, 
God can come to me and things can change. There's a Savior now and things will change if you'll humble your heart. This is what they did instead. And all they in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath. That was because they were self-righteous. There's pretty much one reason when you hear the truth and it's not spoken to you in a superior way, but it's spoken to you or to me, and I believe me, I've had this happen to me many times, and you don't take it even though it's given to you for your own good. This is what will happen. We rise up in wrath, and they thrust him out of the city and led him into the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. I guess they were going to throw him overhead first to his death. Now, it doesn't explain this. It just says, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. Jesus just walked out of that one because it wasn't his time yet. Now, I want to look in my Bible. It's the next page. I want to look at Luke chapter 5. This is also very near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I'm more than certain that I have shared this, this scripture here before. I guess that's legal to do it again. Luke 5, 4. And this corresponds with the, the account in Mark. And there's just one verse in Mark that I want to, to bring in that isn't in the account that is in Luke. And that is where Jesus said, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men to Peter specifically, a fisher of men. Now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we have been fishing all night and we have taken absolutely nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down the net. And when they let down the net, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, and their net broke. And they beckoned to their partners that were in a ship nearby, and they said, come over here and help us. And so they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I guess if you're going to have a business problem, this is the one to have. Now, when Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Because he was astonished and all that were with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth you'll catch men. And when they had brought the ship to land, they forsook all and followed him. And again in Mark, we're told that Jesus told them to come after him. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become 
fishers of men. Now, Peter, I just want to look at the grace and the truth in it again here. Peter and James and John, they received abundant grace from Jesus in the catch of fish. Although, they ended up leaving it all on the shore and walking away after Jesus. <laughs> I think sometimes the Lord just gives us a blessing to get our attention, but what he really wants is for us to go after him. They left it all. It's interesting, isn't it? The greatest catch probably of their life. <laughs> but it was an abundant grace. But the truth about Jesus and who he was that was coming to Peter, that truth was like a brilliant light shining into Peter's soul, and he couldn't quite take it. And he expressed something, and it didn't come out real well. Now, that isn't uncommon with Peter, is it? You know, he just, does, things don't come out right. And so, instead of saying, Whoa, this is amazing, Lord, I can't believe it, you're great. But I don't know if I'm worthy to be around you. He said, Lord, you better get out of here. If you could see me, if you, could, if you knew me, if you knew what you were around, you'd get out of here quick. That's what was in his heart. And what did Jesus say to him? What were the first words that came out of Jesus' mouth when he said, if you knew what my heart was like, you'd, you'd get out of here. You wouldn't be anywhere around me. You wouldn't want anything to do with me. That's what he was thinking, I'm sure of it. I'm a sinful man, Lord, he said. That was his words. Jesus said, fear not. Don't be afraid of what you're seeing right now inside of you, Peter, and think it's too big and too bad for me. It was just exactly the opposite of what Peter thought. Peter thought, if he knows how bad I am, he wouldn't want me. The truth was, Jesus knew it completely, and Peter was the one going to get a surprise. <laughs> you see, the Lord can only show us a little bit at a time, or we'd give up. And he knows it. He loves you anyway. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's in your heart. It, you know, it's not that we're saying we don't care about sin. That's not it. God is able to cleanse you. Look what he did with Peter, the man who was so afraid of himself. I'll tell you what, if I was going to be afraid of myself, whew, we all have wicked hearts. Wicked, wicked hearts. And God loves us just as we are. And he said, Peter, fear not. Don't be afraid of what's inside. Don't be afraid of what you've been through. Don't be afraid of what you've done. Come after me. Come after me. And I'll make you to become a fisher of men. I love that become. <laughs> I won't just, you know, train you how to witness. I'm not, that's good. It's good to, to learn, you know, how to witness. You know, when they say this, you say that. When they, no, I'm going to actually make you, Peter, if you'll come after me. I, I, I actually believe I'm one of these rebellious people. 
who thinks that there's more than one great commission. And I think this was a great commission for Peter. Come after me. We have to go after Jesus and never stop. We have to go after him personally with all of our heart and all of our life, and he's the only one who can actually make us to become a fisher of men. To actually love people so much. <laughs> you know, I never did understand this, even when I was a kid and fished all the time. I never got this catch and release thing, you know? <laughs> I just never, I, I, I just still can't get it. I have friends that go catch all these beautiful fish and throw them back. God doesn't throw any back. Okay. There's not a one of you in this audience who he would throw back if you gave him your heart. And there's not one of you that he can't make become a fisher of men. Actually become it from the inside of your being. He can make you a different person. Jesus. He's the only one that can do it, and it only comes from going after him. As soon as you start going headlong after ministry, even, and you kind of let Jesus kind of gets in the background. Well, I love you, Jesus, but I got, I got things to do for the kingdom of God. You know, you're okay. I like you. I'll talk to you. I'll read the word. You know, I'll get through it, my two chapters a day or whatever it is. Go after him and he will make you. Don't ever stop going after him personally. Don't ever let anything else get in that place in your life, and he will make you to become fishers of men and many other things that God wants you to be. That truth, Peter needed to see it so badly. I want to tell you this, um, because this is what Jesus said to Peter and what had to happen to Peter, and I want to tell all of you that you don't have to be afraid. Okay. You don't have to be afraid to come to Jesus. You don't have to be afraid of your past, like Peter was. You don't have to be afraid of your present you don't have to be afraid of your future. You just have to follow Jesus and let him do the making. I promise you, it won't be easy. Okay? If you give your whole heart to Jesus, you will be so blessed and it will not be easy. Okay? Peter Kind of had it doubly hard in those guys because they had to walk away from that catch of fish. But it was nothing compared to what God was going to do in their lives. Look how God used that man. Was his life easy? Was the end of his life easy? <laughs> no, but let me tell you what. His name is on the foundation of heaven God did him this one last favor of truth, and then I'm done. In the end of the book of John, I believe it is, the Gospel of John, when Jesus told Peter that when he was young, 
he put his own clothes on and he went and did what he wanted to do. But when he got old, somebody else was going to gird him and take him where he wouldn't want to go, naturally, that is. Now, it wouldn't be such a great mercy if the Lord told me that now, because I would probably not be able to get that off of my mind until about the time it happened. You know, uh, that's the type of person I am, okay? Other people might be different, but I think Peter was very, very different in this way that he had denied the Lord. And the Lord did him a tremendous favor by telling him, Peter, you denied me, but the next time, you're not going to do it. You are going to make it. <laughs> you're going to be able to do it when it happens the next time. And I think that meant the world to Peter. That truth meant the world to this man because he was that kind of a guy. <laughs> Whenever God tells you the truth, it's because he loves you. And as you read through the Bible, if you say yes to the Lord, as you read through the Gospels and the Sermon on the Mount and Romans and the epistles of Paul and all the Old Testament, as you read through, you just say, yes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Yes, Jesus, make my heart merciful like yours. Yes, Jesus, make my heart forgiving like yours. Yes, Jesus, make my heart meek like yours. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. He will do it. He will do it. He's faithful. I've proved him now for about 50 years. And he's been always, as the song says, he's always been faithful to me. So, I would beg you to believe in Jesus, to believe that he is a, a being who is filled with grace and truth, and that his truth is very graceful. I know sometimes it pricks us and it hurts us and we want to rebel against it. I know sometimes it comes through people, and, you know, I've thought myself, well, Lord, if you'll just come down and stand here and tell me yourself, I'll listen. But it doesn't work that way, usually. So just humble your heart and listen for Jesus and people. Listen. Study the word and see if it's true. I think you'll find that it is. And just know that you have an opportunity, not only you guys that are on the program, everybody that lives here has an opportunity that is priceless. I feel like the opportunity that I have to be here this weekend is priceless. And I don't want to waste it. Don't waste it. All right, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, next time, we're going to share with you the second talk from this series. And we're trusting that as you really press in to know Jesus, his grace and truth will take a little more ground in your heart. So God bless, and we'll see you next time. 
Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.